Today we're going to read Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms in the Bible and maybe the most famous psalm, one that most people have memorized who have been in church for any length of time. Psalm 23, a psalm of David, and let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And may the Lord bless his word as we've had it read into our hearts today. Last week, we learned about the mountain of God's suffering in Psalm 22, when we learned the details of the death of Jesus. And perhaps in one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible that it expressly talks about the suffering of Jesus. And yet Psalm 22, when you read it, was written a thousand years or very close to a thousand years before Jesus was even born. So pretty remarkable chapter. But we learn about the suffering of Jesus in Psalm 22. But in Psalm 23, we leave the mountain and we go into the valley of the shadow of death. And in that particular valley, we're going to learn about the great shepherd, the Lord. And we're going to learn how to get through that valley. It's not a very pleasant valley. It isn't one that you want to go through. But unfortunately, if you've breathed the breath of life in this world, you will need to go through that valley. So let's look at the psalm together. And may the Lord bless this message today. Now, George Burns he said the secret to a good sermon was to have a good beginning and a good ending and to have them as close together as possible. <laughs> so those of you who know who George Burns was, you'll know his humor. I don't know how long I will be giving this sermon, but according to his reckoning, I should be short to make a good one, but we'll see. Psalm 23, we start out with this psalm being a psalm of David. It was uh, written by David. He knew something about shepherding. He had been a shepherd as a boy. He was the eighth son, so he was the baby of the family. A lot of times the babies of the family are spoiled, and maybe they are all spoiled to some degree, but in this case, uh, I think that he had a chip on his shoulder, which is common also with people who are the youngest. They want to show that they're as tough as their older brothers and older siblings. David had some older siblings that were old enough to be his parent. So he literally had cousins or nephews, rather, who were the same age he was. But uh, when you have that big family and you have that kind of age situation, and he was the youngest, the other young men had gone off to maybe have their own flocks and do their own thing, but he's still working at home. He's still taking care of flocks. And he learned to be a good shepherd. He understood what it meant to be a shepherd. 
and he had time on his hand out there watching sheep. And sheep are not the most pleasant creatures to have to watch. Uh, you don't just say, hey, I'm going to go into sheep farming and uh, succeed. It just doesn't work like that. There's a lot of things that have to be done to raise and protect sheep. Even today, it's not an instant success. It's more likely you're going to be quite fortunate to break even. But in his day, sheep were life and death. You had to have the income that you got from the wool. You had to have the income you got from selling the sheep. And you had to have the food that you got from uh, eating the sheep and the mutton and the lamb. And you really had to have the, the wherewithal to protect those sheep from predators, from the, the animals and from thieves who would call them and kill them or steal them. So David was a man, a young man, who in his youth, he was a shepherd, but that wasn't all he did. He made wise use of those long nights when the sheep were sleeping and grazing and when they weren't moving around. He, he spent his time singing to the Lord, writing music, writing psalms and poetry, and glorifying God. Because the one thing about David that sets him apart in the Old Testament, I think, is that you'll not find a king, an earthly king in the Bible who loved God more than David. He loved God. It's clear that he loved God. Recently, I had the privilege of listening to a speaker at one of our chapel services, and he said that when you worship, that ultimately you are going to imitate what you worship. So who and whatever you're imitating in life is who you're worshiping. So if you worship God a lot, you're going to imitate God. And David worshiped God so much that he was godly. Now, he had many faults in his life, especially later on when he got successful, uh, but he loved God despite those faults. And his love for God uh, can be seen in this psalm. So David the shepherd writes about the Lord, who was a better shepherd than David. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a great passage. It tells him, it tells us, it tells us that there is a God in heaven who cares for us. He is in charge of us. He is the leader and we are his sheep. We are the ones who need to listen to him. And we need to have faith that he is not leading us to a bad place, but through a bad place. You see, there's a difference between leading to a bad place and through a bad place. The Bible doesn't say that God's not gonna lead us through bad places. We're gonna go through many. We see it often in this world when we encounter uh, sicknesses and difficulties and stresses and, and all of the, the entanglements that this world offers. It's easy for us to say, why are we going through these troubles? But remember, God may lead you through a bad place, but he's not leading you to it because he's wanting you to go through it. And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm going to have everything I need. And I hope that we don't go past that verse without us really believing that he's not going to leave us with anything that we don't need. In verse number two, he makes me 
to lie down in green pastures. What a great thing for these animals, these flocks. They, they love grass. They love the green pastures. And in a, an arid land like Israel was, you had select places that had these green pastures. And some of them were seasonal. So you had to move the animals to different hills and different elevations so that they could be able to be properly fed. And notice that when the waters were dry, you had to get them to where they could get good water. And I have been told that sheep are often spooked by running water if it's too boisterous, so they need still water where they're not gonna be panicked and where they can hear for any dangers that are approaching. So the Lord makes me to lie down in green pastures where we're gonna be fed, where he's gonna be fed. He leads me beside the still waters where he's gonna be safe and watered and be able to get the nourishment he needs. As Christians, we need to know that God has a plan to feed us spiritually and to make sure that we take the spiritual meat and the spiritual drink from God's word and from God's spirit. He says in verse three, he restores my soul. Now, I don't know what that has to do with sheep, but I do know this is that a sheep uh, has a personality in its own way, and oftentimes they can act in their own particular ways and be worried, but when they hear the shepherd, they're calmed, and they are ready to do what the shepherd says. It gives them peace to know their shepherd, and it should give us peace in our soul to know that the Lord restores our soul. I don't know what might be grieving you. I don't know what's causing you pain today, but I'm telling you, God is a restorer of your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's basically your personality. So you as a person, you have a thinking part, you have a choosing part, and you have a feeling part. So these emotions and your willpower and your thinking all need to work together so that you are honoring God. But when we get clouded in our thinking, when our choices become foolish, and when our heart begins to hurt us because of the heartaches of disappointment, we need to be restored. We need to be restarted, and to use a computer reference, rebooted so that we can have a new day every day. God wants us to be restored in our soul. And when Jesus told us how to pray in the model prayer, he said we should pray to the Father in heaven, but he also said that we should ask him to give us this day our daily bread. We're supposed to pray to be led not into temptation. What does that mean other than to be restored so we're not going through the hard and treacherous times? He also said to pray that we would have our sins forgiven daily, our debts forgiven daily as we forgive others. To have a restored soul is something God does for us if we're willing to let him. And that's what David said. The good shepherd restores our soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes we think doing the right thing is not of any practical purpose at all. You ever thought that? Why am I doing this? What's the, what am I gonna get out of this? But the fact is, it's not for you. It's not for me. It's for his sake. 
we're going where we need to go because God wants us to go there and we need to serve him where God wants us to be. So often at times we're trying to figure out what's best for me, what's best for me in any particular decision. Well, the shepherd doesn't always tell us sheep what he's doing and where he's taking us because that's not our job. And so in life, when God calls us to do things and we think, what's the practical use of doing this? There is a practical use to accomplish God's pathways, to do what he wants us to do for his name's sake. And if we don't do anything in this world except glorify the name of Jesus, that is not a wasted life. That's a life worth living. And that's a life that we all ought to aspire to. If we don't have any practicality to us at all, but we do honor the name of the Lord, hey, that's a usefulness that will probably rank highest in heaven. We do what we do because the Lord's sheep are there to make sure that they do righteous things for his name's sake. In verse four, we come to the heart of this valley. He says, yea, yes. Notice he says, yes. He says, it is true. We are going through the valley of the shadow of death. And as we lose loved ones and we cannot help but be touched by death. And if you live in this world and the longer you live, the more death you see. We are surrounded by this valley. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's always there. It's always, it seems to always be there, but it's not permanent. We're not gonna stay in that valley. But he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. What a great comfort that is. We don't need to live in fear of death. We don't need to live in fear of the dark. We don't need to live in fear of the unknown. We need to live as God says here, I will fear no evil. So many of us worry. We're worried about so many things. And in all honesty, we're conditioned to be afraid. The sensationalism in our news is one of the things that stirs us up. We're worried about this and that and protest here and protest there and police action here and police action there. And nobody's really happy about the political situations. But you see, I think that God doesn't want us to be overly stirred up over the evil in the world because we don't need to be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of any evil. David says, I will fear no evil, none, zero. That's a great statement right there. He's a man who knew what it was like to go through the valley of the shadow of death. He faced a giant that was so many times greater in height than he was, and yet he faced him down. He was not afraid. We need to face those giants. We need to face whatever it is because we know the Lord, the next part of the verse, is with me. Notice he says, for you are with me. The Lord's with us. He's not sending us somewhere by ourselves. We have him with us. Remember, he is our shepherd. Go back to the first verse. Who's the shepherd? The Lord. Is he just sending the sheep through the valley of, of, shadow of, of the shadow of death by themselves? No. One of the things, and a couple of the things, he says, your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. The rod oftentimes was used to keep the sheep uh, in line, to discipline the sheep, but also to let them know that they're there. The staff could be used to also comfort the sheep. The sheep know, hey, my shepherd's there. He's there. I know he's there. And and these shepherds could beat uh, any of the animals that were uh, predators and fight them off with no fear because they weren't afraid of the wolves. They weren't afraid of these creatures that would hurt their sheep because they were prepared. And God's rod and God's staff are there to help us. They're there to discipline us too, but they're also there to comfort us, to let us know that God's still watching. He still cares for us. And we should get some comfort out of knowing the Lord is there. He fights battles for us. I I, I think we should derive a great joy to know that God is going to fight for his people in every age, in every generation, and when they have their backs against the wall, if they call upon the Lord, his rod and his staff will comfort his people and they will do what they are intended to do. He will protect his own sheep. We're gonna be protected. and We need to believe that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, it's a scary thing to think about if you didn't have a shepherd. It's a scary thing to think about if you don't have a destination and a home in heaven forever and ever. It's a scary thing to think about if your life is not going to be better when you die. But guess what? We don't have those problems because we have a shepherd. We have a destination, heaven, and life is going to be much better for us because of what Jesus has done for us. We need to believe that. And God is not going to keep us in that valley very long. We're going to get through it. He moves out of the valley there and starts to move out and he's, he's already planning to do other things. Notice what he says in verse number five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He moves away from this idea of sheep. I don't know too many sheep that know much about tables, but now he's kind of changing the metaphor a little bit. He talks about himself as a person, as a distinguished guest, as a VIP. Very important person. And he says, you, God, the shepherd, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, David had enemies. You and I have enemies. And in the valley of the shadow of death, you're surrounded by enemies. Our three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system is against us. Our culture is against us. The devil's against us, obviously, because he hates God from, and he hates us from the very beginning. But we also have our own body. Our flesh is against us. We are our own worst enemies. We we will make compromises because we make the fleshly decision instead of the spiritual decision. God wants us to know that, yes, we have enemies, but but God's going to have a special banquet. He's preparing a, a banquet where you are a VP, VP, not vice president, no, VIP, very important person at this banquet. And you're gonna have a table setting for you. And David says that the Lord is gonna prepare it for him. And notice that it's gonna be in the presence of his enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, because we won't have this old flesh anymore. The world that doesn't believe in God will see the glory of the sons of God and 
obviously the devil will have to see it as well. So we, all those enemies who said that you're wasting your time doing the Christian thing. You've wasted your time going to church when hardly anyone is going. You wasted your time going to church uh, at night on a Sunday night or on a Wednesday night. You've wasted your time. You could have been doing anything else. Yes, you could have been. But you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for his name's sake. You've wasted your time going and help those people who you had no connection with, but you helped them anyway. You wasted your time praying for somebody and nobody even knew you were praying for them. You wasted your time giving to people who would never give anything back, but that's not true. It was not a waste because God's gonna have a special recognition to you if you're his sheep because he's got a special banquet in your honor. So the Bible says it very clearly. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, but let's look further. He also says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So in the Bible, best I can figure out, there are four groups of people who got anointed. And uh, one is the prophets. They, they had a practice of anointing the prophets, although it wasn't as common but they did anoint the prophets. So a person who was going to be a prophet of the Lord was often anointed in a special way. Sometimes the Lord would anoint them directly through a vision or something like this, but they got anointed. Uh, the priests were anointed because when the priests got anointed, they pour the oil over them and the priest would sanctify themselves through this anointing. Um, kings were anointed. You'll know that David was anointed after God rejected King Saul, God went to a young man named David from the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, and God sent Samuel to anoint his head with oil, and he, he was anointed to be a king. But there's a fourth group that uh, are also mentioned in the Bible as anointing, and those are the sick people. Sick people, you would anoint the sick person who uh, called for, they would often do this in the Bible days, uh, anoint people who are sick. So these are four groups. Now you might say, well, which group are you or me? Which group am I? But I kind of think that we're kind of all four, especially if you're a Christian, because I think in the Bible, as, as we see, that God has made us kings and rulers in God's kingdom as joint heirs of Jesus Christ. You notice that Jesus was all three of the first ones. Jesus was a prophet, a priest, and a king. He's the high priest in heaven. He's, there's never been a prophet greater than Jesus, and he's the high king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. So he's got all three of those down pat. Whether he was sick, I don't know if he was ever sick, but I'll tell you what, he certainly suffered worse than any sick person ever suffered because he went to the cross and bore our difficulties and our heartaches. But in his case, we know that he's certainly prophet, priest, and king. And I think we as well, we need to act as though we are uh, God's people and we are his prophets, priests, and rulers in his kingdom as well. We're under him. Uh, but also know that we're sick and we need healing. We need to be healed constantly. And we need that anointing that comes from God to heal us and help us and to establish us the way we need. 
He says, furthermore, that my cup runs over. He's not going to run out of what he needs. He's got a cup that's running over. That's a good problem to have. Better to have too much than not enough. Jesus proved that point when he fed the thousands, didn't he? He, he, he didn't just feed just enough. He had an overflow. And if you ever felt guilty, oh, we have all these leftovers. Well, it's very biblical to have leftovers. That's a sign of God's blessing to have an overflowing cup, an overflowing basket. That's just a sign to the Lord because you see God is blessing us. He wants to bless us with an overflowing cup. And in the last verse, he says famously, surely, I love the word surely, it's not a name surely, but it is the name securely, certainly, absolutely, something is going to happen to me and you. He says, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, think about that for a moment. Two good things we need. We need goodness because no one really enjoys anything bad. You don't want to have a bad day. You don't want to have a bad attitude. You don't want to have a bad apple. You, you absolutely don't want to hear a bad joke, and you don't want to have a bad time. All the things associated with that, you don't want. So what do we need? We need good. We want to be good and have good things. And the Bible says God's got it. Surely it's there. Goodness. But goodness is not the only thing that's coming after us. Mercy is as well. We need mercy because if you start doing an accurate accounting of your life before God, that's a scary audit. It really is. Pretty scary. Because God sees everything. He knows it all. And we need his mercy every day. And we need his mercy because there's going to be that time when you lose your temper. There's going to be that time when something happens and you get upset. When you start worrying. There's going to be that bad news that you're going to get and you're going to have a bad reaction to it. God says, mercy's there too. Don't be afraid to go to the shepherd. He's not going to kick you out of the flock. He loves you and he promises you goodness and mercy. How often? How, how big a store of goodness? How big a store of mercy? Well, he says... <clears throat> Goodness and mercy shall follow me in the near future? No. Some of the time? No. Occasionally? No. He says it'll happen daily. In fact, all the days of my life. And David had it every day of his life. Even when he did the worst things he ever did, he still had surely and goodness behind him, following him. When he was old and he was sick and he didn't have his strength anymore, was God there too? Yes, he was. He was providing for David in his old age too. He's there for you and me. It's certain. And we need to realize all we got to do is look back in our rearview mirror and know that goodness and mercy are nearby following us every single day. And David concludes, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We uh, had fun talking about uh, rental houses today and big houses and 
you know, nice house is a very beautiful and wonderful thing. I think most people appreciate a good house. I think also most of us realize, especially if you are a responsible human being, that the largeness of the house is not necessarily a sign of the goodness of the house. If you get too much, sometimes it's hard to take care of. If you got too little, it's hard to live correctly. So there's a balance somewhere in your life. And whatever it is, God's given it to you. But God's got a mansion for us all and a place that he takes care of for us. And what a privilege it is. It's his own house that he's provided for us. And we're going to live in that house forever with the Lord. It's a great promise. And that's true, not just of David. That's true of us. David in Psalm 23 tells us about going through the valley of the shadow of death. But we're not staying there because we're staying we're, we're st Our destination is the house of the Lord forever. That's where we're going. We're not going to all these dark places that frighten us. We're going through those dark places that frighten us, but we're gonna come out the other side to a very better place. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for Psalm 23, a beautiful Psalm. It tells us so much about your kindness to us. And I ask that you would help us to remember that you are our shepherd and that through your death on the cross, Lord Jesus, and your burial and resurrection, we have hope forevermore. May we follow the words of this Psalm every day with devotion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.